0: So uh, last week, Steve uh, ended with a quote from Gandhi, and the quote was this, and I thought it was a really great uh, introduction for tonight. Uh, Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now, I can tell you Firsthand, that as a Christian uh, or a follower of Christ, that uh, I can also find that sentence to be very true. I myself, as a follower of Jesus, can look at other Christians and be like, "Oh, that sucks! Like that's that's not it, and that is not who Christ is and who what He exemplifies and what He stands for." Um, I have seen many Christians be an example uh, of the opposite, even, of who Jesus is. Uh, and I, myself, have even demonstrated, demonstrated sometimes the opposite of Christ. And so I'm going to kind of dive into some of these things tonight, uh, but this is something that we can, we can all see, right? We can all see Christians who are not exemplifying who Christ is. Whether you are a believer in Jesus uh, or if you're undecided about Jesus, or you want nothing to do with Jesus, we all can see that Christians can sometimes be so unlike Christ. And it may sound like I'm going to be totally bashing on Christians tonight, but in reality what I'm doing is just uh, repeating some of the things that they have already done or said to show you how unlike Christ those actions, those behaviors um, have been or can be. Now, when we're talking about uh, this subject tonight, there's there's a lot to unpack, uh, but I'm going to try to to fly through some of the examples um, of why we have become so skeptical of Christians. And I, I kind of was making a list of, of things that I have seen Christians do or say or who they have been. And, you know, I, I literally was making this list. And that, and that made me kind of sad, too, right? Because I'm, like, making this list of, like, yep, they do this, yep, they do this. Yes. And I, like, wrote this big, long list. And I'm like, oh, man, we could, be, we could be so terrible. Or some other people can be so terrible in exemplifying who Christ is. But I took that list and found that I was able to make it an even kind of shorter list, and and I'm gonna try to, um, when I go through these three subjects of of Christians, you can kind of dissect for yourself and see like, oh yeah, they kind of fall into this category. Um, So, the first category of Christians that I feel like exemplify the opposite of Christ uh, are ones that we have seen a lot lately within the last few years which are basically, uh, no other way to put it, they're jerks, right? They're, they're people who uh, display hateful tendencies or actions or reactions. Um, they can be just, I don't, I mean, there are stronger words used that I won't use, but they are, can be jerks, you know? They can just be jerks. And we've seen that a lot in the last few years. Uh, I can't tell you how many people have left the church or their faith even of how Christians have handled the pandemic. I actually literally had um, a guy who used to be on our staff at Ecclesia, and then he uh, was no longer on staff at Ecclesia, and then he he came to my house to pick up a, a stroller for his his new uh, baby uh, that we were giving to him. And I hadn't seen him for quite some time. And I said, hey, dude, like, what's, what's new? What's going on? I haven't seen you in a long time. And he's like, well, do you know that I, like, don't believe in Christ anymore? And I don't go to church anymore and stuff like that. And I was like, well, what? It, it blew me away. And so as we talked and we talked, he was, he was just giving me the example of, like, dude, I've just seen so many People who claim to love Jesus do the opposite of what Jesus has said. And he's like, I've just seen that and I've been like, why do I want to be a part of this? Why do I want my name next to these people who are being jerks, who are acting in this manner? He wanted nothing to do with it anymore because of the company that he felt like he was in. So people are leaving the faith, people are leaving the tr- the church, over the Christian jerks, right? Christian jerks and hatefulness ran rampant in the world, over trigger word warning, <laughs> government mandates, social distancing, gatherings, masks, vaccinations, and politics. I had never heard so many vocal Christians in my entire life other than the last two years. This was a huge divide in the country and in the world, but also inside the church. We had many meetings as a staff even at the church, how to navigate the views and opinions of everyone who came to ecclesia because within Ekklesia our, itself, There was a a big divide, right? There were a lot of people who had had opinions. And opinions themselves are okay to have. But it's what you do with those opinions that matter. I'm not saying that their convictions weren't real. And I'm not going to unpack at all who was right or who was wrong in those instances. But we definitely saw the worst in a lot of followers of Jesus, didn't we? It's not the opinions that were necessarily the problem like I said, but how they handled said opinions. Now, I'm gonna give you guys some verses that go with each of these. So if, you want to write, if you're a note taker, you can write these down or you can just listen. But uh, Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. So what does this mean? It means that when you feel anger in your heart, do not let that anger overtake you. Anger is a, is a natural reaction. It is something that we as humans deal with. But you cannot let that anger overtake you. You cannot let that anger cause you to do X, Y, or Z. And I was literally just in the leaders meeting talking about this, how I have my, my girls, my, I've got a seven-year-old and a six-year-old, and... Growing up, I was never an angry person. Never. I was pretty chill. Uh, My dad used to say I was a stoner without the weed. Uh, So I was always really chill in life growing up. Nothing, everything kind of just rolled off my shoulders, rolled off my back. Um, But then once I had kids, oh man, they test your limits. I, I get so angry sometimes. And to the point where I'm like, you know, slamming cupboards because I'm so mad or whatever, or, you know, in the worst instances, I'll, like, snap at them. i am like, hey, hey, be quiet. Like, just do what I say, you know. And then I have to go back later and apologize because I lost my cool. I've, I've, I've stepped over that boundary of being angry and, uh, and sinning in that instance. So I've lost my temper. I've lost my cool. I have let the anger overtake me. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And again, in Ephesians 4.15, it says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Uh, Years ago, man, I'm trying to remember how long ago it was. I was teaching here in college group. It would have been like 2015, something like that. I was teaching in college group, and I had heard about something that a group of the students had done in the college group, and I was so mad. I was so angry, and I got up front, and I didn't call them out by name, but I rebuked them. I was, like, I was like, you guys, yeah, it is, it's funny now. wasn't funny then. I, like, I rebuked him. I, like, I was like, I went Mark Driscoll. I was like, how dare you? You know, I can't believe you guys did this. And later on, you know, somebody who I respected said like, hey, you were angry. Did you handle that appropriately? And I was like, nope, I didn't. And so the very next week I was teaching again, And I had to get up in front of everybody. And because this is what I felt convicted to do, I felt called to do this, I said, you guys, I may have spoken the truth, but it was not the truth in love. I was not being loving in how I handled that situation. It says, Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Isn't it refreshing when we hear a Christian speak to someone who doesn't believe or is even trying to argue against Jesus in a matter of love and compassion? Uh, You're more likely to hear from someone who speaks to you in a loving, kind manner rather than someone who's yelling at you. You're going to get just... I I know myself, if somebody is yelling at me and telling me what I did wrong... I'm just going to get kind of mad back, right? I'm not really going to listen and I'm going to think, I'm already like judging them being like, oh no, they're wrong because of their anger. They're wrong. I'm like not even listening to their words anymore and we'll get to that here in a second. But I recently discovered this guy named, I hope I'm saying his name right, Nabil Qureshi I think is his name. And he's got a bunch of videos on YouTube uh, where he defends the authority of Scripture and the validity of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And the very first video that I saw of him, I was like, oh, I love this guy. So he's, he used to be a Muslim, and he uh, grew up uh, uh, studying the Quran, the Quran and, uh, and he, he was very, very deep in his faith. Uh, now, uh, he became a Christian, a follower of Christ. The more that he studied the Bible, he had more questions, and he found for himself that Christianity seemed to line up more uh, logistically than his Muslim faith did. So in this video that I saw, uh, this Muslim comes up to him. It's an open mic night, and he's up at the stage, and this guy comes up and asks him this question about Jesus and about the validity of Scripture, and what he does is he speaks to him in such a loving, kind manner. He even says, he says, hey, what's your name? And he's like, where are you from? And he finds out that you know he's kind of from the same area. So then he speaks to him in Arabic for a little bit of it. And he's just showing him so much love and compassion. And this is a guy who is literally up there at a microphone to try to argue with him about who Jesus was and who the Bible who sorry, who Jesus claims to be and the validity of the Bible, of Scripture. And what he does is he engages this guy in a loving manner. And he is just so warm and friendly. And as I saw that, I was like, I need more of this because these last few years, again, has been a time where Christians have been the most vocal and for all the wrong reasons, right? And then this guy comes in and he's like just loving and warm and compassionate. And then, unfortunately, I found out that he actually passed away of cancer in 2018. So I was just kind of like, no, like we have this great guy. But that's what speaks to us, right? This love, this compassion, this, this heart that wants to literally engage with you and not just shout at you. Now, in contrast, there's another video. And you can, you know, tell me if you guys have seen this one, but there's this video of these guys hanging out in a fast food parking lot, and these two uh, Mormons ride up on their bicycle, and they engage in a spiritual conversation. Has anybody seen this video? I not even know who the people were, but Brad, you've seen it? Yeah. Nice, Brad. <laughs> and these, these guys ride up on their bikes, you know, they've got the, the white shirts and the black ties, and they, you know, say, hey, like, we'd love to talk to you about Jesus and about Joseph Smith. Uh, and all this stuff, and the guys who they're talking to, they know their scripture, and they know Jesus, and they know what the Bible says, and they lay into them. Now, what they're saying, what what these guys who knew Jesus in the Bible were saying to the Mormons on their bikes uh, was not incorrect, but the way that they did it was so like just in an attacking manner, in this manner that made them feel like Lesser about themselves. And it came to a point where they're arguing and, and, and the, the LDS guys aren't really having the best rebuttals anymore. And they finally come to a point where the, the lead guy goes, you know what? We're done. We're going to leave. You guys have a great night. And he goes out to shake the, the Christian's hand. And the Christian goes, oh, we're done? Okay, see ya. And just turns around, doesn't even shake his hand. Now, this guy had hurt his witness so much just in that moment. He had all of the right answers. He had all of the right knowledge. He knew his scripture front and back. And he knew who Jesus was. But because of his attitude, and at the end of the video, he's also like, there's nobody come up against us because we know all of it. We know all of scripture. We know who Jesus is. We know blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, you're an idiot, man. You don't, you don't get it. You just don't get it. Because even with all the right knowledge, even with all of that wisdom and, and book knowledge, because you were a jerk, that's all that they're going to remember. Which one of you, these guys would you want to talk to? Would you want to talk to the loving, compassionate guy? Or the guy who seems to actually have all the answers, but he's a real jerk about it? I already know who Jesus is, and I still know who I would rather talk to. 1 Corinthians... Uh, let's see. First, Oh, I have a typo in here. I think this is First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13.1. says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If you tell someone the truth, but it's not loving it's going to be just noise. They don't want to hear it, you don't want to hear it, and I don't want to hear it because that hateful talk, that jerk attitude, nobody wants to listen to. The things they say may even be correct and you could even agree with them, but the way that it is said overshadows the message itself. So that's our first group. The jerks, the haters. The second group is the hypocrites. So first let's define hypocrisy. The practice of claiming to have a moral standard or belief to which one's own behavior does not conform. These are the people who say and preach one thing and then they go and do another. I feel like this is the big one for Christians, uh, and when we talk to someone who is uh, not a follower of Christ, uh, the, big, the big, you know, um, excuse is, oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Why would I want to be a part of that group? It's a lot of times, they are, right? Sometimes they are. I, I agree with them. You know, I see a lot of hypocrisy in the Christian world, uh, in one of our leaders' meetings, I was telling uh, the college leaders about how I went to Washington Family Ranch. How many of you guys have been to Washington Family Ranch or Wild Horse Canyon? Okay, a few. What? Wafara? Ra? Is that what it's called now? Oh, nice. That's cool. I'm not cool enough to know that. Um, so if you guys gone to... <laughs> if you guys have gone to Wafara... Uh, uh, you know that they have like uh, a cafeteria and a kitchen, and they actually have some really good food. And so I got to go there one time, like as a leader, I went on like the volunteer staff or whatever, and I got to help prepare some of that food. I was literally the only one from my church who went to, to serve as a, a staff for uh, serving that, uh, the food. And everybody else there was from a whole other church. Now, As I'm there, I'm like, oh, this is cool. I get to meet some new believers, some new followers of of Christ and and maybe build some community here. But as I was there, the first day, the very first day, these guys and and gals were together, and they were talking about some of the nastiest stuff I had heard. They used some of the most foul language I had ever heard, ever, at this Christian camp. And I was just like, what is this place? Like, what did I sign up for? What did I get myself into? And what had happened was these guys who were there to be leaders, to serve on staff as followers of Christ, gave off the most foul language, the most disgusting things I've ever heard. I felt like I was on like a Navy ship, you know? Like, it was like sailors talking. And I was like, where am I? I thought, I thought this was supposed to be this, not this. And so I went there. Fortunately, I had already had like, my faith. I had a pretty solid, firm foundation in who I knew Christ to be. But as I saw these guys, I was just like, this, this is not it. So those leaders did nothing to reaffirm my own faith. Now, uh, fortunately, like I said, I had already established my faith and was strong enough to know what these people were doing weren't right. But this kind of behavior attracts No one to Christ. They think, what's even the point if these believers aren't any different from the rest of the world, right? Like I said, I thought I was on like a naval ship. I seriously could have been on a navy ship and maybe heard better talk than what I heard there. If these believers aren't any different from the rest of the world, why would I want any part of that? Now, Jesus himself addresses these people. In Matthew chapter 7, 3 through 5, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I've also, myself, have been called out for this before. Uh, I think it was even the last time that I taught that I told you about um, a lewd comment that I'd made to a girl in high school, but I know that there are some people here who weren't here last time that I taught, so I'll kind of reframe my story, but uh, when I was in high school, uh, you know, I used to be a leader on, at my high school campus, and I even led a a Bible study that we had. And uh, one day, I was out in the parking lot of the school, and this girl who I knew, and we were friends, she was walking by, and we were kind of just talking, and then I made it, I won't repeat what I said, but I made a very lewd comment to her, and I thought I was being funny, and I don't know why my filter was completely off at that point, but she stopped, and she goes what are you doing? I thought you were supposed to be like this follower of Jesus. And then she walked away. She was mad. And I just melted. I felt so ashamed because I, myself, was being a complete hypocrite. I was being a leader at my school and proclaiming to be this follower of Christ, this follower of Jesus, and I just let my mouth say whatever came out. And she looked at me and said, I thought you were a follower of Jesus, man. And she wasn't even a follower of Jesus herself, but she knew that that was not what a follower of Jesus does. I had besmirched the name of Christ by what I had said. It ruined my witness, and I may have even single-handedly led this girl away from Jesus because she also would have seen, like, if this is who uh, If this is who follows Jesus, why would I want any part of that? Because I wasn't even practicing what I was preaching. So we have jerks, we have hypocrites, and then the third and last one that I came to was false teachers. There are many kinds of false teachers out there, A false teacher is someone who claims Jesus, but may have a different doctrine of Jesus or uses Jesus' name to give them what they want, selfishly. And it may not even be spoken, but it is evident in their actions. Sometimes they want money. Sometimes they want power. Sometimes they want sex. Sometimes they want fame. Or sometimes it's all of the above. Now, let me start with the most blatant. These are the ones who claim that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Now, this contradicts the Bible. So that means that they had to come up with their own literature to say that 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 stance is true, right? In doing so with their own literature, they can contradict real Scripture and say some really wacky or loony things. They invent their own rules to live by. If you're not living in those rules, it could be detrimental to you or to others. These are what we would consider to be cults. Now, my wife and I, I don't know if you guys like to watch these, but we love to watch cult documentaries. Does anybody else like to watch those? Yeah. We're, like, obsessed. Right now, we're going through The Vow, which I think is on HBO Max. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, these leaders who want uh, maybe even start off with this idea that they can be helpful to the world. And then they get caught up in their own game, caught up in their own selfish desires, and either end up craving power or money or sex or fame. Uh, Just a few months ago, I was reading about this tiny church community, and they started off with scripture with Bible teachings and with Jesus. But then they started making their own rules and making their own, uh, you know, ways of living. And eventually it led to a place where they were uh, disciplining their children harshly, that abuse claims started to come in and nothing was really done about it. And then they started beating their kids uh, to teach them lessons. And some of the kids even died from being beaten and starved. Because they thought that that was discipline. And that on the news is enough for someone to see it and say, see, that's what's wrong with the church. Cults who include the name of Jesus can do real damage to the name and reputation of Jesus himself. Now, false teachers can also be uh, what I like to call celebrity pastors. Uh, I personally have a huge aversion to celebrity pastors. When I see it, it makes my skin crawl. Uh, I don't have a problem if someone is a good teacher and a good shepherd, but when it feels pretty obvious that they want to be up in front of you looking cool, having a certain swagger, wearing the most expensive things. Isn't there there an Instagram account like about cool preachers and sneakers? Thank you. Where they're like up there wearing Yeezys or like, I, I don't know, what's more expensive? Is there something more expensive than Yeezys? (laughs) Balenciaga. And so they literally have this account of of pastors wearing these sneakers. And I'm pretty sure you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's not to be like, look how cool they are. It's to be like, look how dumb these guys are, right? Um, They want to be up there. They want to look cool. They want to have notoriety. They want to have fame. They want to be wearing the most expensive things. And when I see that, warning bells go off in my head. Now, most of the time, these pastors start off, again, with the right intentions, right? They want to change the world for the name of Jesus. They have a gift, and they feel like they could do a lot of good, just like the the cult leaders can have that kind of mentality, that idea. But what happens? The mission of the gospel or telling people about Jesus gets lost in their journey, and they start to focus on how many followers they have, how influential they're being, uh, or they make an excuse that they have to look cool in order to reach the people that they think should be reached, right? I read about a pastor who, um, <laughs> who berated his church because they were not giving enough money to buy him the new fancy watch that he wanted. I don't, know, I don't know if anybody saw the video. I didn't click on the video because I was already mad enough. But I read about it, and I was just like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with these people? They get selfish. They get entitled. They get X, Y, and Z, whatever leads them to that point where they think that they deserve these things. I see the pastors who want to mentor celebrities so they can have more of a spotlight or build their platform upon others. And there are even pastors who use their leadership and power so they can have sexual encounters with people in the church. There is uh, somebody, a pastor in New York, who was head of a megachurch, and he fell for that exact reason. Now, when we hear these warning bells going off in our heads for these Christians, I want you to know that these are good warning bells. When we talk about skepticism and, and being skeptical of Christians, this is a good thing. In Matthew 7 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This is, I, I think of like Looney Tunes. I don't know. I, I, that may show how old I am because I don't know if Looney Tunes is even still on. But is it still on? It is? You just, you, you open your mouth. Like, I, everybody should know who Looney Tunes is. But uh, in, in Looney Tunes, like Wile e. Coyote, he would, you know, zip up a sheepskin outfit so that way he could, like, crawl into the, the, to the herd of sheep and steal one so he could eat it later. And that's kind of that picture, right? They dress up like sheep. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. They want to devour you because they are selfish and they will do whatever it takes to get what they want. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 through says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So, if we are skeptical of the jerks, of the hypocrites, of the false teachers, how then can we know what's true how can we know what's right and how can we know who to trust i'm going to give you a verse that that lays the foundation for how we know who to trust first john 4 1 says beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god for many false prophets have gone out into the world first of all it says do not believe every spirit every teacher out there. It is good to be skeptical. It says to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So how do you test the spirits? I'm giving you a lot of scripture here. Ready? Second Timothy three sixteen through 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent Equipped for every good work. In order to test the Spirit, you need to compare it to the Spirit. Let me say that again. In order to test the Spirit, in order to test the person, to test their works, you need to compare what they are doing to the Word of God, to the person of Christ, to the person of Jesus. Now, I could end it there and say, like, go test That that wouldn't be a good teacher. Let me give you the scripture to look at. This is the big one. Galatians 5, 19 through 24. And I'll read it for you. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is Paul writing. And Paul is first giving out what not to do and then what you should do. So, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity yeah, sorceries in there. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit here's, here's the, the contrast. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul, again reiterating, Paul gives us first the evidence, the desires of the flesh. And these are all things that are set apart from God, apart from the character of Jesus. And then he gives us the contrast, the fruits of the Spirit. So we have the the works of the flesh versus the fruits of the Spirit. And these are the things that exemplify Christ. These are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. So when you are discerning, and when you have made the decision to follow Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, right? And it will convict you and implore you to live out The fruits of the Spirit. And when you are looking at a believer or a Christian, look and say, are they exemplifying the fruits of the Spirit? When you are being skeptical of a Christian, look at this blueprint. Love, joy, peace, patience, down the list. Do they exemplify these things? Or do you see that the majority of their works are in the works of the flesh? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've looked at the fruit of the flesh, I don't want you to think, wait, I do some of these things. Am I not truly a follower of Christ? Because I'll tell you what, I was just telling the leaders in the meeting, I look at the works of the flesh and I'll be like, oops, that's me. Oops, that's me. Oops, that's me. But that's not what it's saying. You are still human. You're not perfect. We are not perfect. You're going to fall, and you have grace because of the work of Jesus on the cross for your and my sins. It is the habitual pattern or lifestyle of a person who is living in the fruits of the flesh that this verse is specifically talking about. You're going to stumble and fall. That's just how it goes as a follower of Christ. When you follow Jesus, if you make that decision to follow Christ, you're not perfect You're far from it. But that's the whole point of the work of Jesus on the cross, is to die for your and my sins, because we are going to stumble and fall again and again and again. And there is mercy and there is forgiveness on the other side of that. But tonight, ask yourself if you are a follower of Jesus, are you demonstrating these fruits too? Are you demonstrating love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? If you claim to be a follower of Christ, know that people are watching you. People are looking to you because they want to see, are you different? Is this Christ that you claim to follow Are you exemplifying him through your actions, through your speech, through the way that you live? Or are you going to be the type of Christian that Gandhi was talking about? Where you claim to know him, but your lifestyle looks nothing like his. I want to leave you with, what are you going to choose to do with that? Are you going to choose to follow him and live it out, or will you be stuck in the past, in your old flesh? Because when you follow Christ, you are a new creation. You are made new and whole. And yeah, some of these things may come up in your life again, but there is forgiveness, there is grace, and there is mercy. So I want you guys, as you leave tonight, to to chew on the fruits of the Spirit and say, Lord, Which of these do I need to work on in my life? And they're all there for you, for your reproof and your correction, just like 2 Timothy talks about. But as you look through that list, say, Lord, make me more patient. Make me more loving. Make me more kind because you cannot be an example of Christ without those.